Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Warren Ingram, Personal Financial Advisor, Executive Director at Galileo Capital. Before we do anything else, I've got a question from Mac this week, Warren. And Mac says, I have an access bond on all my properties. Lucky Mac. I'm in a fortune position currently that I've paid off some of them. However, I've left a thousand rand owing on each, so at least I can access the money in case I need it. More like an emergency fund for me if I need to buy a vehicle in cash or still ensuring that I pay it off in a shorter period of time than if I took a vehicle loan. The question is, is it a good idea to pay them off and take the transfer of title as I'm concerned that from a credit score perspective, I might be deemed to be over-indebted, especially if I want to apply for credit to purchase another property, vehicle, etc. What an interesting question from Mac, who has a, a problem many of us wish we did, we had as well. Yeah, I, I want Mac's details so I can borrow some money. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I think it's a brilliant position to be in, and I certainly wouldn't be rushing to pay off the, um, the, the bond completely and taking the title lead. Uh, I mean, personally, I use my paid-off bond as my emergency fund. So I think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, and, you know, and if you don't have the cash, for example, that you've saved up to buy a car, then, you know, buying a car um, out of your paid-up bond and, and taking two or three years to pay it off makes all the sense in the world to me. So, so definitely worth keeping. And and I, don't, I wouldn't worry too much about the credit score issue. You, you know, there's many ways to skin that cat. For example, you know, use a couple of those bonds where you draw down on them somewhat to, to buy another property if that's what you need to do. I, I really don't think the banks will have a big issue, especially if those bonds are you know at the same bank and they can actually see how well you've done on paying those bonds. They, they probably desperately would like to lend you more money because they love lending money to to people who borrow and pay off uh, you know in a disciplined fashion. So so no Mac, I, I think hold on to those bonds, keep them open uh, and and you know, use them as wisely as you have been. And I think it's a powerful tool. You know, one of the lessons of business always is, you know, banks always lend you money when you don't need it. And when you <laughs> desperately need the money, then they then they they don't want to give it to you. So keep your facilities open and and you know, t- take advantage when you need them. Fabulous, thank you, Warren. Um, the, the the fund manager issue, um, the 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 deal from a, a good deal and a bad deal from a fund manager. Just talk to me about the Morningstar research that has come out um, with this massively controversial total expense ratio, which is never the total, and it is expense and it is a ratio, but it's never the real total because uh, we we don't have the sort of clarity we need on on the way in which funds charge us. There are lots of hidden costs often. Um, talk to me, please, about getting a good deal from a fund manager. So, so the, the, just to kick off with what, what Morningstar have done is that they've looked at uh, the cost of of unit trusts worldwide, and what have we been charged over the last? Uh, they've done it since since the year two thousand. So, so let's just say twenty years. And 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 surprisingly, you know, I must say I was astonished. It, it it sort of makes intuitive sense now that I think about it. But but over over the last two decades, we've actually been getting a good deal as as investors over time. In other words, you know, the the cost of the funds that we are buying have more than halved over the the, the last two decades. So so certainly, you know, if we if we'd gone back to the you know the early uh, 2010s, I would have been saying you know a lot of fund managers are really expensive. And I, and I actually had to think about it. I haven't really been saying that for the last few years. And it's not because I'm lazy. It's just that they actually have come to the game. They, they actually have you know, started to reduce their fees. And, and to the point where if we look at the average cost of an, of an index tracking unit trust, in other words, 
a unit trust that tracks, you know, the top 40 index in South Africa or, you know, the top 500 shares in America or the world stock market, the average cost of that fund is now down to 0.12% per year, which is absolutely sure. astonishing. I'm not, you know, I think if we go back, uh, you know, to the year 2000, the, the average cost of a unit trust would, would probably have been around about 2% 2, 2 or 2.5%. And as you say, we wouldn't really have known what we were paying because the, the, the transparency around fees was just not there. If we look at um, what, what we're paying fund managers, in other words, we, we pay some uh, a fund manager to decide what to buy and what to sell. So they're not tracking an index. They're, they're trying to beat the stock market or the property market or w whatever the market may be. The, the, those fees have, have dropped not as much as the, the index trackers, but, but certainly they're down to 0.61% a year. And, and I think that that, again, you know, compared to the past, um, you know, a good deal. And so I think what we're realizing now is that the, the fund managers have woken up to the competition of, of index funds. Firstly, that's a, you know, a very big point. But, but secondly, you know, all of us have become much more savvy as consumers of, of financial products. And, and yes, you're right, Bruce, you know, not, not every fund manager and every product provider is providing the, the transparency we need. But, but certainly the transparency is much better than it was. And I think we've learned to ask questions. You know, we, we've learned to, to kind of look at, uh, look at the, the product information more closely and, and to, to um, decide where to go with our money in a, in a much more sensible way. And, and what was really fascinating for me, over the last uh, 10 years, 20% of the, of the funds in the world have attracted the, 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 about $5 trillion in new money. And the 20% of funds that have done that are, surprise, surprise, the 20% of the cheapest funds, the funds that are charging us the lowest fees in the world. And the other 80% of all mutual funds, all unit trusts in the world, have actually lost $1.9 trillion. So investors <laughs> have taken money out. Um, and, and that tells me that, you know, the, the, you know, the, the consumers of, of, of unit trusts as, as, a, as a rule across the globe have, have, have woken up to this, this idea of low costs. And, and when fund managers are slow or, or, or frankly, unwilling to, to adjust their fees, uh, co consumers are, are not scared now to move their money and, and to allocate it to the cheapest funds. And, and I think that, you know, the, the good deal to your, to your point, to your question, I'm sorry I've been babbling, but... but no, your, no, it's um, all, it's, it's been a very clear narrative. I, d I have questions, but carry on, sorry. So, so, so my, my, my last babble is, is I think um, th that uh, the history shows us that the, the funds that charge the lowest fees over long periods of time tend to be in, in the top, you know, top quarter or you know, top 25% of, of performers as well. So, it, you know, I'm not saying that you, you, you can choose the lowest cost fund and be certain that it's going to be the best performer, but, but it definitely imp improves your odds of, 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 of choosing the best performing funds when you choose the ones that happen to be the lowest cost as well. So, so I think that consumers, you know, they, they understand this message much better now. Mm. I think my industry as financial advisors have figured this out as well. Uh, and, and certainly if you, if so, you know, to your question, uh, how do I find a good deal on a, on a good fund? I look at that, um, the total investment charge. So that's the jargon to look out for TIC. Uh, and, and that's the most comprehensive way of reporting fees. And, and the first thing I do is I, I make sure that I'm in, in a fund that's very competitive in, in fees. And as I said, if it's an active fund, look at that fee of 0.61. That, that's what the average is now globally. Uh, and if it's an index fund, 0.12. And, and those are really good benchmarks for you to see whether you're getting a, a great deal or a terrible deal. And also, but don't buy just on price, just because it's cheap. 
doesn't mean it's performing. You've got to understand what they're investing in. You've got to understand what they're thinking in their investments. And that's where it gets a bit complicated. But that's why financial advice is something that you, that really cannot be cannot be sniffed at. And um, we've got a question from Jan Johan Nell. Now, Jan Johan, or Jan, he's got a little dashy thing. So I think it's Jan Johan. Um, parents could make up their minds. Jan Johan, oh, it's both. Um, I recently started working abroad, but I have not emigrated. If I decided to emigrate, how would that specifically influence my tax-free savings account. If I understand correctly, emigrating triggers capital gains tax. Investments within my tax-free savings account would then be exempt from the CGT, but what happens going forward with my tax-free savings account? Will I still be allowed to make the annual 36,000 Rand contribution? Will the investments within my tax-free savings account be exempt from dividends withholding tax? What happens if I decide to return to South Africa? Would I be able to continue with my tax-free savings account contributions where I left off previously? Oh, that's exhausting, Jan Johan. He's fit, 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 fitted in a lot into a short question. Uh, a quick perspective on that one, Warren? <laughs> I'm just going to go for JJ instead. Uh, okay, so, well, I'll tell you sorry. what. Why don't you pause and think about JJ, Jan Johan? Um, I'm going to give you a moment to think about it because I need a, a good, succinct answer. That good, succinct answer in a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Jan Johan Nell is an international man of mystery. He doesn't know what his future holds. He's not sure where he's going to turn up, like many people. So, therefore, he'd like to have some options. And he's been asking lots of questions of Warren uh, to do with uh, with the idea of, ta- of ca- um, capital gains tax and tax-free savings accounts in particular. Uh, some concise uh, guidance for Jan Johan this evening, please, Warren. Okay, JJ. Uh uh, the, the answer is actually quite simple, that, that you can, as a, as a South African um, who's left the country, you can continue to contribute to your tax-free. And in South Africa, by SARS, you'll be treated as you always have been. In other words, your dividends will still be exempt. You won't pay capital gains tax, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you've got no issue in South Africa. And, and the reason I'm saying that is that there's also no guarantee that wherever you land up, that that tax authority Will, will recognize a tax-free savings account as a tax-free investment. In fact, it's very unlikely that they will because a, t- a tax-free savings account is pretty unique to, to South Africa. And so the normal double taxation agreements that we've got with lots of other countries uh, won't necessarily cover something like this. So you might find that you're making all these contributions and then you still have to pay tax uh, in another country on, on your tax-free in South Africa. So long story short, in my view, if you're going to go, uh, um, and you're going to leave the country, then you know take the money out of your tax free at that point because it will be tax free, and and take it with you. But uh, but certainly, uh, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily keep it on the other side because I think you're carrying huge tax tax risk there. Okay, thank you, Warren. I think that's a a good piece of, of sound and and simple advice. Um, if you're looking for more detail on that one, JJ, Yuan Yuan, um, then then by all means go and sit down with somebody. But I think it gives you a, a place to start. Uh, and then I'd like to know what a hedge fund is. Um, massively controversial products over very long periods of time. Um, very complicated, often very very expensive. And, and this isn't the amount of money that you put aside to you know grow a fence between your you and your annoying neighbours. Um, this is a complex financial instrument, uh, an investment. Yeah, it, it, in, in fact, they go back to the 1940s, and and certainly. Uh, you know, the original hedge funds, um, they, they kind of, you know, the name came from that phrase of hedging your bets. 
and and the idea of the of of hedge funds at the time was you know to say well let's say for example in South Africa you know I've got to buy a Naspers because it's you know nowadays Naspers and process you know biggest shares on the on the index. Uh, and that's going to always make up a huge part of my my South African portfolio. I don't really have a choice about it, but I'm worried that you know potentially Naspers and Process will fall because the Chinese regulators attack them like they've done now. If if I have that position, what I can do is I can start a hedge fund where where I buy the shares, but at the same time I also buy a form of insurance that that hedges my bet if that if that investment actually loses value that I that I that I get protected from those losses. So, so the early days of hedge funds were were very simple in their in their um, in their philosophy, which was you know let's find ways for investors to protect themselves against uh, stock markets or shares or even sectors of stock markets falling, um, and and things went well for quite some time in the in the hedge fund uh, world. But but then of course people got clever and they started saying, well, hang on, you know I can I can actually do lots of different things within hedge funds. So so now hedge funds are this massive universe. Of, of really diverse and really complex, uh, you know, different kinds of investments. So, for example, you know, you you find some that will uh, actually double up your risk. You know, so so if you really have huge conviction in something like Naspers, you can actually you know get options where where you're almost betting, um, you, you know, with extra money that you don't really have. That, you know, on 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 the price of those those shares rising. So now all of a sudden you actually have a form of borrowing where you know they call, they call it gearing. Um, where if things go well, you know your your one rand gives you ten rand back. Of course, if things go badly, your one rand costs you ten rand. So so that's the problem with with, with hedge funds, um, and all sorts of you know uh, uh, different varieties of hedge funds within trading things like commodities and all all sorts. As you say, they, they're controversial because historically they they have been enormously expensive. You know, usually somewhere around two percent a year as an annual management fee. 20% of all of your performance um and and no surprise that some of the richest people in financial services are hedge fund managers because you know historically they've done incredibly well for themselves and and sometimes for their investors it's not always been the case that uh, hedge fund managers have done well alongside their investors so so to me not, not I'm not a fan never have been I, I don't like the complexity um I don't like the fact that they're not very transparent, and I certainly don't like the the, the fees. The in the few that have done well, I'm, I'm I'm happy to have missed those because there there've been many more that have really done badly and and have charged their clients an enormous amount for for the pleasure of losing their money. Warren Ingram, Galileo Capital. Thank you, Warren. Warren is a personal financial advisor and a director at Galileo Capital.